the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back to the Bullington Capital Report. Now, it's really interesting. I got a, uh, um, I'm actually going to record a little video and I'm going to send it out to a guy by the name of Bill Bullington. <laughs> one of his friends, he's in the Air Force, and one of his friends had decided that, you know, for his birthday, they would try to get me to record something and send it to him. We we're going to try to do it live. We just couldn't uh, coordinate the time. So I'm going to actually record a little video and send it out there. So happy birthday, Bill Bullington <laughs> from from another Bill Bullington. But, uh, anyway, I was just uh, looking around. Boy, there's so many things happening. And, you know, some people are um, actually it's starting to mellow out a little bit. I mean, for the while there, my phone (laughs) has been, was lighting up, as you can probably imagine. Over the past few months, all that was going on, the election, the pandemic, that was just crazy. And we've been talking about this for quite a bit. And I just thought I would, would kind of talk about things that you can do when things are going pretty bad around the world, or at least it looks that way. And uh, I even got a couple of articles here that actually one article in particular that I'm going to talk about a little bit. It says, and by the way, the article was titled Finding Hope When Things Feel Gloomy. And it's it's really important that you can do this. I've always said that investing is 95% mental, not intellectual. There's a big difference between intelligence and um, stamina. (laughs) A lot of people who are highly intelligent don't have the stamina to keep pushing through. And a lot of people that need more stamina, in fact, you're all going to need stamina if you're going to be successful investing because stocks are incredibly volatile. They have never not been volatile, incidentally. Now, people can just see it more. And you've got a lot more computers running money. So it, it, it upsets them. When you see all these prices fluctuating all over the place, people have a tendency to get upset. So anyway, I, I just want to get to this one article. And this one actually showed up. I'm trying to think of uh, a magazine, by the way. And I just, I have it right here in front of me. And I, I think it's the Times. Yeah, the New York Times. 
So this was done through the New York Times. And by the way, this was legally licensed through Advisor Stream. And this is something that if you want a copy of this article, you can actually just go to my website and email me. Bill at BillingtonCapital.com is the email address if you don't want to go to the website. And I will be glad to send you a copy of this article. But anyway, the, the person that was writing this uh, or was interviewed for this said that in my practice as a clinical psychologist, on more days than not, I hear some version of this plea, how can I feel hopeful without deluding myself? I get it. While helping appropriately skeptical people build meaningful lives, I never want to sugarcoat the state of the world. This person shares a lot of the same views I do. Feeling frustration and pain makes sense during this unnerving time. Yet, there's still room for hope, which isn't a flimsy feeling about or convincing yourself that things will improve. Hope is an action-filled process, and I teach my patients to look at it that way, too. According to renowned hope researcher Dr. Charles Schneider, who was a professor in psychology at the University of Kansas, hope arises when you identify paths to your approach, uh, paths to approach your goals alongside a willingness to persevere despite obstacles. Now, how does that relate to investing? Well, I'll tell you exactly how it relates. When you're looking at the stock market in general, and it's down 10, 15, 20%, seems to be crashing and picking up speed and you're looking at that how does that last statement looking for hope how do you find hope when all you see is red and you see the that your account value is dropping well here's what you do you step back you take a look at what this thing has done in the past you, if you start examining the past you're going to see a whole lot of times when those prices were down at that level. What you're also going to see is that they've always come back. And that can be very, very helpful to your psychology. And I go through, I used to do this constantly, especially when I was new in the business. I would go through and I would review the performance of all the funds that, I've, that I have. And incidentally, if you have an investment advisor, there's a pretty good chance they have access to the information that I'm talking about. And you can go back and look at the investments that you have. You can run what we call hypothetical illustrations. We can use those investments. We can go back and see how they did, how long they took to recover. All of them had always recovered. And uh, when I say that, somebody always goes, yeah, well, it's different this time. You know how many times I've heard that over the last 30 years? (laughs) It's different this time. This is the big one. I would give you my um, impersonation. I was trying to remember who it was, but never mind. <laughs> it was a television show. This guy, he was always grabbing his heart and uh, screaming out to his, his ex-wife who had already passed away. <laughs> anyway, got to move on. But yeah, so go back and look at this stuff. You've got investment advisors. They can show you what your investments would have done in the past. They can show you how they went down and they recovered. They can go through the actual strategies that they're using through the funds. And if they can't, incidentally, you need to find a new advisor. <laughs> if, if your advisor doesn't have access to this information, that, uh, that would be a first, actually. <laughs> I don't know any financial advisors that don't have access to this type of information. Now, their understanding of it may or may not be as good as yours I, sometimes. But it really does help to go back, 
pull those things up. Go look inside of them. Look at some of the companies that are inside of there. Look at how well they've done in the past. Look at all the ups and downs that they've had and how they ended up, you know, when you look at it collectively, it's done very, very well if you give it enough, if you give it enough time. And that's kind of what this, you know, article was talking about is pursuing hope even when it feels unnatural because the natural thing to do when you see big corrections in the stock market is to want to run and hide. That's the natural thing. The unnatural thing to do is saying, look, I've seen this before, probably going to see it again during my lifetime. I'm not going to get worried about it. Why? Is, are you just dreaming as dream? No, actually you're not. Markets have always recovered at some point in time. Now, how much money you have invested into those types of funds that are going to fluctuate, and notice I'm saying not if they fluctuate, that are going to fluctuate. If you've got too much of your money in there relative to your, your tolerance for fluctuation, I'll show you how to calculate that later on in today's show. But if you've got too much money, you're too nervous. That's what I see happening too too many times. You look at just the past performance or just the track record in the past, it's really easy to start doubting that when it's down 30 or 40%. You hear me? It's easy to doubt that when it's down by a lot. So you need to, to invest only as much as you think you can withstand. And that's where the, the big value of an advisor comes in. An advisor comes in and shows you the past history. Hey, look, this is how much this would have been down. Here's your money, and here's your money in the market. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is your money under stress. Okay, If you can't handle that stress, you need to back it off. Don't have to avoid it completely. That's, an, that's another thing that's really dangerous to anybody's portfolio is all or nothing type, uh, all or nothing thinking. I got to be all in or all out. No, you don't. You absolutely do not. In fact, that's a recipe for disaster. I can tell you that for sure. Everybody's all happy when a stock's making a, an all-time high or a 52-week high. When it's making a 52-week low and it's down more than 50%, which is the average range of the average stock on the New York Stock Exchange, the most, the largest, most liquid, highest quality collection of stocks in the world. And it's got a range of 50% per year. That's the average range. So, you know, I, I remember when I was new in the business and I, I keep saying this and I'm going to keep saying it until I actually die. <laughs> But both Peter Lynch and Warren Buffett both said, if you can't stand to see the value of your stocks drop by 50% or more, then don't buy those stocks. Don't buy stocks. I thought they were kidding. <laughs> I was new in the industry. I went to my manager. My manager goes, oh, no, no, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. He was afraid to tell me the truth. The bottom line is he was afraid I wouldn't be able to sell anything, actually. The, um, by the way, you will find out. <laughs> When you invest in those things and your money's invested, and the next time we have one of those big corrections, notice I didn't say if we have a correction. I said when we have a correction. You'll find out. So there's nothing to hide. You shouldn't be worried about it. If you've got too much of your money in stocks, then yeah, you should be worried about that because you tend to make really bad decisions when you're taking on too much or more risk than you're comfortable with. 
later on in today's show, we're going to talk about how you can reduce that risk somewhat without just crushing the returns. The, uh, the number one thing people think, and a lot of people think this, I shouldn't say the number one thing, just a lot of people think that because you're a professional, that you have a crystal ball somewhere that works. You'll get me out when the market's dropping, right? No, not if you're reasonable. What you're going to do is probably try to add some to those holdings when they're down a lot. How do you do that? Well, you start out by not putting 100% of your money in it to begin with. Pretty common sense stuff, right? In fact, I am going to write another little booklet that, uh, that talks about this. You know, just rebalancing your portfolio. Why? How to do it? When you should do it? You'll be surprised. It's not nearly as frequently as you think it is. In fact, uh, over the years, since computers have become more and more active in the market, it's not as uh, frequent that you're going to need to rebalance your portfolio. That's kind of wild, actually. But anyway, what we're doing is we're looking at how much you have in stocks in general, how that's broken down. By the way, I you know that show, what is it, Kramer's on? I can't remember what it is. But anyway, Kramer t- comes in and talks about, are you diversified? And he, and he puts up five stocks. And I'm going, are you kidding me? Dude, you know how long ago that was? And that five stocks is not diversified. Five stocks is, you know, you're really asking for trouble. That, that's gambling. That's not investing. And uh, I don't care if they're in five different industries. That's, that's just not enough anymore. The average stocks range is 50% a year. And the average uh, New York Stock Exchange, you only got five stocks. You know what the chances of three out of five being down 50% or more are? They're pretty high. (laughs) Especially if they're stocks that everybody knows about. Those stocks tend to fluctuate the most. So um, anyway, controlling that risk, that's really tough to do with five stocks. I'm going to tell you, nobody should be doing that. The risk that you will take, the fluctuation you're going to have to live through I'm pretty sure that causes, you know, a, a lot of friction between the family. And who wants that? You know, marriage is tough under the best of conditions. Why would you want to aggravate that? <laughs> by the way, that was told to me by one of my mentors when I was first in this business. And amazingly enough, he was my age now when we had that conversation, <laughs> he, he looked me square in the eye because I was thinking I was about to get married. And he goes, hey, Bill, marriage is tough under the best of conditions. <laughs> so he was trying to prepare me. And later on, I appreciated that. <laughs> I really did appreciate that advice. So because that wasn't the only advice he gave me, but uh, I, I'm getting up close to a commercial break. So I don't think I'll be able to get into the rest of that story until after we come back from the commercials. But but anyway, I just that it's funny how that always stuck with me because you know this, it reminds me a lot of the stock market. The stock market is tough under the best of conditions. Why? Because it's always doing something unexpected. How many people went to cash March, April, May, didn't get back in? I got to tell you, there was an indicator that used to be really really reliable that never flipped. So if you got out, you're still out. It never actually flipped to tell you to get back in. So the last one of the most reliable indicators just broke. I'll tell you what you can do to fix that. 
right after we come back from these commercial messages. You'll listen to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Bullington, I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon, 1420. Also available on the Fish's website as a podcast, or you can go to BullingtonCapital.com. We're also on iHeartRadio, and uh, so you can look up, look us up there, the Bullington Capital Report. Feel free to write in and give me some suggestions on some things that you would like me to talk about. I don't uh, don't mind doing that at all. And we were just talking about basically. Managing risk, and you know, that's what I talk about an awful lot. And, uh, I was just reminded that I was talking to my oldest daughter, who's going to law school right now, and one of her law school pro- professors was asking her questions, and they, they he had assigned a project whereby they had to go and try to figure out what a division in a company contributed to the overall market value of that company's stock. Okay, what that tells me is that professor knows nothing. <laughs> you can't do that. They don't <laughs> they don't even give that information out on the financial statements. And the uh, it it's crazy. So I'm just thinking what the heck? So uh yeah, anyway, there's so much information out there that's just it's just so bad. I, I feel so bad for the general public. I really do. It probably took me 10 years of reading and researching Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Kiplinger's, uh, the, uh, you name it. You'd read these articles and you'd hear something and it was very upsetting. And then you'd go you'd do some more research on it. And then you find out that, that they misinterpreted something. Remember, these articles are written by journalists. Okay, They're not written by portfolio managers. They're written by journalists. And oftentimes, they're written by attorneys or, or CPAs who like to write. And oftentimes, they don't have the experience in the market, which is uh, crazy. I just feel so bad for people because you just you don't know where to go or who to believe. And that makes it incredibly difficult. Makes my life incredibly difficult. Is, uh, I'm hearing stuff all the time, and people are they get so upset when they find out that it's not true. And I get upset when something I thought was true that I investigate is not true. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> and you'll have my, uh, uh, I'm telling you, I will do everything I can, if you're one of my clients, to investigate stuff if I don't know the answer already. And by the way, if I do know the answer, I can show you where the proof is so that you can you know, prove it to yourself. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to find it. And oftentimes, it's not that easy to do. But one of the things that is easy is when you take a look at your total portfolio and you say, okay, how, how am I supposed to invest this, Bill? I, I really, 
I'd like to have an income. All right. Let's start talking about income. Today, you've got a lot of choices out there. You can set up a stock account that's going to invest in different stock funds, and you can set up what we call a a systematic withdrawal. Every month, it will take a certain percentage from each one of the, the stock funds in the portfolio and just sell some shares, distribute you the proceeds. Now, when I say that, a whole lot of people go, whoa, 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 wait. And I, hang on a second. I got news for you. <laughs> you're, with interest rates being 1% or less, you're probably going to have to do some of that. You will probably have to do some of that with at least a portion of your money. It's not the end of the world. If you have a, a fund that's, let's say it has a 1.5 or 2% dividend, those would be probably a high quality because the super high quality stocks, they don't have to pay big dividends to attract buyers. So they don't. The higher the quality of the stock, typically, not always, but oftentimes if that company is more than 10 years old, they don't have to pay a big dividend and they probably won't. I think the average dividend yield on a high quality stock is probably about 1.5% right now, which is still higher than the CD and it's taxed at a lower rate. Okay. But most of the return from that stock portfolio is going to be from appreciation. It's going to be from the stock prices going higher over time. So if you were taking out 4% or close to 5%, most of it's going to be shares of stock that were sold. And what you're counting on is that over time, those share prices are going to grow and the dividends will increase to make up for that. So, and unfortunately, that's the way it is. I don't, when I say unfortunately, the reason I'm saying unfortunately, because I don't think it's unfortunate at all. Okay. But so many people think that, you know, I know if you just look hard enough, Bill, you're going to be able to find me a 4 or 5% dividend-paying stock that's also going to grow 8 to 10% a year and it's going to have tax advantages. Really? <laughs> if I could do that, by the way, I'd have Warren Buffett standing at my doorstep, you know, with his hat in his hand. <laughs> that doesn't exist that often. It used to. And that's what's, that, that's another thing that for an awful lot of people... Because it existed at some point in time, they think that it's going to come back again. Well, it might. And you know what the most likely event causing that is? A major correction. Stock prices are going to be down 40% or more. Yes, then you would be able to find a bunch of stocks with a 3.5% dividend that was solid, that they had been raising for 5 or 10 years in a row, that had good financial statements, but... In order to get to that level, you're going to have to go back to the lows that we saw in March of this year. Now, that's when those opportunities are present. That's what's really difficult because when they're down a lot, not a whole lot of people want to buy. I did, by the way, incidentally, I had several clients that called up and said, hey, I've been saving some money for a day like this because I've heard your show before. (laughs) And so I was very surprised and pleased that they had saved some money for the next time that the market had a big dip. And you know what? Those guys have made about 45% of their money right now on that money that they added in there. And uh, by the way, the uh, let's retract that. Let's just scratch that because we're not supposed to talk about that kind of stuff. They did very well. So they put money in the market and they didn't catch the bottom, by the way. They did not catch the bottom. But they did very well. And uh, that's the those are the time periods where you're going to find some really good deals. It's when everybody's really afraid. That's what happens. So here's how, going back to the 
article that I was talking about earlier, how you keep a positive outlook. So if you look at stocks and their long histories of probably the best performing asset class out of all the asset classes, better than bonds, better than commodities, better than real estate. So far, you know, over the past couple hundred years, stocks have been the best performing asset class. Um, why? Because Procter & Gamble is still going to make a Tide. Hershey's still going to make chocolate. Clorox still going to make chlorine-based products. <laughs> Actually, bleach. The, uh, and people are still going to use that stuff. And when their prices go down, the dividend yield goes up. And generally, it's been a pretty good time to invest in those types of high-quality companies. Now, the, the problem, a lot of the problems come in when people are trying to find that after they've already recovered. So you missed it. That's why it's so important to get your risk tolerance in line with your personality so that when that big event happens again, you can take advantage of it. And you don't even have to be anywhere near close to the bottom to benefit from that kind of stuff. That's just called rebalancing the portfolio. I'm going to have to do a whole show just on rebalancing your portfolios. It's the uh, easiest, fastest. Uh, when I say easy, I mean mechanically. Uh, psychologically is another story altogether. Because rebalancing your portfolio means that you're actually adding the stocks if they're down or taking some of the money off the table when they're up. For the average investor, that's incredibly difficult to do. Most average investors want to add to their stocks when they're up and sell their stocks when they're down. That's the opposite of what you probably should be doing. And uh, it's easy to see how that happens because why? Well, in March this year when stocks were really going down a lot, it scared them. Nobody had ever showed them that, yeah, stocks can go down 40 or 50%. No problem. It happens every once in a while. Actually, it's happened a lot more frequently since computers gotten involved in the late 90s up to now. Over the last 20 years, you've had more big corrections closer together than ever in the history of the market, except for maybe the late 1800s. It was pretty bad back then, too. Think about that. Late 1800s, and people are trading stocks, and they're going up and down 50% or more. <laughs> How do they even communicate that quickly? Uh, smoke signals? <laughs> no, just kidding. Actually, it was telegraph. But bottom line is the stocks are really volatile. And if you're planning for that, if you plan for the volatility, don't plan on avoiding the volatility. You know, if every major airliner waited until all the air was smooth across the United States of America before they ever flew, a, allowed the, the planes up in the air, the number of flights that we would have would probably be 10 a day <laughs> instead of 10,000 the way they were back before the pandemic hit. Yeah, and so it's not necessary. What is necessary, though, is that you have a plan of action for when you're going to hit turbulence. Because just like a plane flying cross country, the chance of them avoiding all turbulence is pretty low. Doesn't mean they don't go. That means you prepare for it. And you can prepare for turbulence in your portfolio. Pretty easy to do. Actually, it's incredibly simple to do. Now, let me give you the, the, the math that I like to use. Take your, this is how you figure out how much of your money you should have in stocks. Okay, Not complicated. 
Another thing I really like, being not complicated, next week we're going to do a retirement planning uh, episode, how you do the retirement plan in 15 minutes or less. Now, it's actually going to take me 15 minutes or less. It'll it'll take me about 30 seconds. I've been doing this for so long, it'll take me about 30 seconds. It'll take you a little bit of time effort to get estimates on what your Social Security or pensions might be. So, But once you have those numbers down, I'm telling you, if it takes you more than 10 minutes to figure out how much you can spend during retirement, uh, it's either the first time you've ever done that or maybe you want to hire an advisor. <laughs> you might want to anyway. But the uh, uh, bottom line is it's just not that hard. And just like uh, a lot of things in life, it requires a lot of discipline. So here's that, here's that formula for you. Okay. Take your portfolio. Start subtracting percentages from it. Let's say I got, just to keep my math simple, let's say I have a million dollars, and I know very few people have a million dollars, but it makes the math a lot easier. If I have a million dollars, and I'm going to take out $45,000 a year, that's 4.5%. That's the recommended amount by BlackRock. They are actually the largest asset manager on the planet. So if I'm going to take 4.5%, that's $45,000 a year. Okay. And I think, okay, well, with my Social Security and whatever pensions I have, I got maybe some part-time work, and I can hit all my goals. Great. We're good to go. Except that CDs are paying 1%. 1% of a million is 10000 Long way from 45000 right? So you're going to have to put some of your money in some stock funds. Well, how do you know how much of your money you should put in stocks versus bonds or fixed accounts? Incidentally, this is where that nationwide product is really useful because the nationwide product is going to guarantee an income of much higher than, typically much higher than 4.5%. It'll guarantee that for the rest of your life. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But for now, we're trying to figure out how much in stock we could have without getting so upset that we abandon our strategy. That's the worst thing you can do. Abandon your strategy when the market's in turmoil. So let's say I think, well, I'm pretty adventurous. I think if I'm down 25%, I'm not upset. I know it's going to happen. I'm just going to put up with it. I could take 25%. I don't think I could take the 50. 50 50% watching half of my money go away when I'm close to retirement, not too joyful. (laughs) Don't think I want to live through that. Okay. So I think I need to make some money. So I'm going to have to take some risk. How about 25%? I think I can live through that. All right. So if the market was on 20, uh, 50% and you only had 50% of your money invested, how much are you down? 25%. Voila. What you do is you take that number, your decline tolerance, that's what I call your decline tolerance or tolerance for fluctuation. You just multiply it by two and there you go. So if I have, if, if my tolerance for decline is 25%, I multiply that by two, that's 50. So I put 50% of my money in stock funds. And if they get crushed, okay. I'm only going to be down 25%. How simple is that? Take your decline. And I, by the way, I'm saying it's simple because I've been doing it for so long. For a lot of people, especially married couples, you know, they have to look at each other. I don't know how much you think we should be down by or how much could you withstand before you start waking up in the middle of the night sweating? 
<laughs> yeah, well, I think it's only 10%. Really? I'm like 40. <laughs> That's what I see a lot with married couples. They're, they're across the board. I mean, everybody's different, and there's no right or wrong with this, incidentally. There's just what is for you. And personally, mine's at 40. If I'm down 40%, I'm, I'm still not panicking. So I got 80% of my money in stock. Bottom line. If, and I'm prepared. I know at some point in time, I could be down 40%. No sweat. Yeah. I'm willing to take that. Why? Because I'm not going to be retiring anytime real soon. And I think that I can put up with it. And I want to get the higher returns that you normally get with a stock portfolio. And the thought of getting 1% on a CD just kills me. And I'm going to get less than 1% now on a CD. So I just, I'd rather take that, that kind of risk. But that's me. If, if you're near retirement, if you're already retired, you may not be able to withstand. A 50, you may not be able to wait long enough to be able to recover from a 40 or 50% decline. Okay, so just come up with a number. Multiply that by two, and that's what you want to limit your stock exposure to. Now, the other money, you got two choices. You've got the 1% or so CD government bond slash whatever you want to consider to be super safe. It's not going to pay much. Now you have these products we've been talking about on the show now for the past few months called fixed indexed annuities. They're for income. They're going to produce income. I'm not going to bother going in and talking a lot about it. I'm just going to tell you that if you want to learn more about it, I think it's a very viable option, particularly for these times, for the times we're in today. This product is not that old. It hasn't been around that long. It's been a few years now, a couple of years. There's been, there have been versions, different versions of it that have been out long before that. Okay. But those were different. This one's different than those were. And the key difference is the word fixed. Before this, you had an indexed annuity, and that was a totally different animal. They sound the same. And a lot of people, if you say it really fast, fixed indexed, fixed indexed, people don't even hear the fixed part. So they think it's the old, you know, the indexed, which I was not a fan of. Anybody that's listened to this show knows that I was not a big fan. I'm still not a big fan of those. So, but this is a, a new day. It's a new game. You've got interest rates that are extremely low. A government that's got so much debt to try to raise interest rates would cost a fortune. Every 1% that you raise interest rate by, by the way, a trillion is a thousand billion. That's what a trillion is. A thousand billion. You know what 1% of a thousand is? It's 10. So $10 billion. $10 billion is 1% of a trillion. You have... 25, 26, 27, 28, somewhere around there, it's getting close to $30 trillion worth of debt. That's 1% of that would be $300 billion. They couldn't get $5 billion for a wall. <laughs> and, you, and you think they're going to raise interest rates by 1% is going to cost them $300 billion? Now, by the way, that's not exactly accurate because not all the debt is interest bearing. I think the interest-bearing debt's around twenty-two, twenty-three trillion somewhere in that neighborhood. That should make you feel way better, right? Ah, it's only twenty-two trillion. <laughs> so one percent's two hundred twenty billion. Now, if you're sitting there in a, in a money market account, saving, hoping, and praying that you're going to get a four or five percent CD rate anytime soon, I'm just going to tell you, the Browns will probably win three straight Super Bowls before that happens. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. If, <laughs> by the way, no other team's ever done that. You know, three straight Super Bowls. <laughs> it's not a likely scenario. It's just not. I have a better chance of running a sub four minute mile than that happening. Rates going up by one or two percent over the next ten years. And I can tell you, I couldn't run a sub four minute mile ever. <laughs> I don't know if I were young and somebody had put a gun in my head, maybe, but the, because uh, I, I did run those, you know, I ran the uh, 400 yard dash, 440. Well, we'd say, I'm sold. We, we weren't even using meters. So 400 meter, I was about a 56. Okay. That's under, that, that's a, just under a four minute mile. If you could do that four times in a row, which I promise you, I could not. <laughs> that was when I was in great shape. <laughs> but um, anyway. So you've got these these new products that are out there to fill a need. They're there. They're not for everybody, by the way. I don't believe in one size fits all. I know that's a very popular thing for an awful lot of people, but it's just not. And, and it has a lot to do with how much money you have now, what your investment personality is like. Uh, I hear music. That means I had to take a real quick commercial break. You'll listen to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Be back after these messages. Welcome back. Hey, this is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420. And also, I think I'm around 1220 at the same time, being simulcast. You can find a copy of the show on my website. You can find it on iHeartRadio as a podcast, iTunes, and also the Fish's website. So 955thefish.com. And, um, wow, I can't believe it's in all those places. <laughs> the, uh, actually, I had to okay that, but <laughs> anyway, I, I was reading an article, and I thought this was kind of interesting. Because I used to have this client. I Actually, I still have this client. And um, he's lived longer than he thought he would, by the way. He kept telling me that he wanted to die broke. He wanted to spend down all of his money so that, when he died, there was nothing left. And my answer was, no problem. When are you going to die? You need to know the exact day. <laughs> and by the way, if you do know that, don't tell me. I really don't want to know. I was just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, there's a, uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, and it was the headline was, Your goal is to die broke? Question mark. Easier said than done. And uh, so these writers evidently are financial planners that get that question a lot, which I think is kind of funny because I used to get that question a lot too. And realistically, you do have to know, you know, when you're going to, when you're going to kick the bucket, you know, otherwise, you know, you might, I, I used to tell people, well, you know, you know what the, the worst thing, 
something worse than dying young or dying before you expected to is dying broke. It's living longer than you expected to because then you don't have any money. <laughs> so, and I always used to tell people, look, you want to plan on leaving some money behind for your beneficiaries. Why? Because you don't know when you're going to die. And if you plan on running out of money, <laughs> maybe because you have rotten kids, you didn't want to leave them anything, that unfortunately, you know, if you care about yourself and, and being able to eat something other than saltine crackers, <laughs> then you have to uh, plan on living. And so anyway, I thought this, the article was pretty funny. I hadn't thought about that in a really long time period. Anyway, so these guys get the question, my wife and I have no children, our goal is to die broke. How would we do this? Well, a lot of guidance is available, and the concept certainly has its virtues, but pulling this, uh, this off can be tricky, to say the least. A book published in 1997, Die Broke, by Stephen Pollan and Mark Levine, first popularized the idea of whittling down your estate to zero or close to it before you pass on. Interestingly, the authors argued against retiring. Well, no kidding. When you run out of money, you got to keep working. <laughs> the, uh, I don't think they were telling people to uh, do that because of that. But anyway, they're thinking working is more fulfilling and more lucrative than leisure. That's true. My goal is to actually make enough money to be able to afford to work at Lowe's. I love Lowe's. <laughs> the tools. I will never bring a paycheck home. I will bring a lot of tools home. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I that's what I envision for retirement. Anyway, in the years since, several books have been covered on the same ground, including two published this year. Live Well, Die Broke. Wow. So I wonder what the backup plan for that is. <laughs> what is your backup plan? Okay, I'm out of money now. <laughs> I, don't know. I guess if you have a lot of kids, that, that could be a potential backup plan. Anyway, another one, uh, Die With Zero. Now, dying with zero is a lot easier to do, <laughs> but you may hit that zero several years before you die. <laughs> that's, that's the only fly in that ointment <laughs> that I can see of. Anyway, many of these writers make the same points. People tend to fixate on stockpiling wealth, which is short-sighted. Instead, we should use our money, particularly in retirement, to pursue those goals and experiences that enrich our lives and the lives of those around us. In doing so, the thinking continues, it's fine, even preferable to spend or give away most or all of what we have. I guess. <laughs> After all, what good will money do you when you're dead? I don't know. But uh, see, the only problem with that is I just, I, I know if I planned on living to 90, my luck is I'm going to live to 110. <laughs> and I'm going to be without money for 20 years. So I always just try to uh, save something. Even if it's not, you know, even if I got rotten kids, it's not for my kids. It's for me. Anyway, so this article goes on. Much of this makes sense, at least in theory. Most retirees, it's safe to say, want to make the most out of the nest eggs and the time they have, sure. But to return to your question, it's in the mechanics where this thing gets complicated. That is, how exactly do you manage your finances so that your savings expire, so that you and your savings expire at the same time? One possibility is a two-bucket approach. I'll tell you, they do have... Uh, by the way, you can buy just an immediate income annuity. That's a life only option. That's also the highest yielding one because when you die, the insurance company keeps any money that's left. But if you don't die, they just keep paying. And that has the highest rate uh, of our payout rate typically 
of any of the annuity type of products. So they didn't really talk about that there. Uh, what they did talk about was a two-bucket approach, a certified financial planner, Santa Monica, California, Advocates Wealth Partners. Start by converting all your assets, including your home, into an investment portfolio. And the first bucket, place just enough assets to cover basic needs for the rest of your life. Again, you have to know what that life expectancy is. For example, you could use these assets to buy an immediate fixed annuity. That's smart. That's exactly what we are just talking about. The monthly annuity checks combined with Social Security would pay for housing, groceries, medical needs, etc. Super smart. Got two minutes left. What that means is we're going to have to wait until next week to pick this topic back up again. But we will. And because it is really important to figure out how much money you need to make your basic living expenses, and then you buy an annuity to pay that, that's a pretty smart idea, especially if you have money left over. Then the other money you can use to uh, increase your income at some point in time because inflation's not going to die when you do. All right, I'm sorry. Actually, inflation's never going to die. It's going to keep going up. So as you retire, it's not going to retire when you do. That's what I meant to say. Sorry about that. I'm getting in a hurry and uh, getting distracted (laughs) at the same time. Easy to do these days, but as I was saying, if you got your basic needs covered there, you could do that with an immediate annuity. You want to have some money outside of that. Um, That's why we're talking about the nationwide thing. It's got various options. Uh, You can actually still leave money behind to your beneficiaries if you want to. There there are a whole host of things that you can do. A lot of choices. The choices for the fixed portion of it have improved fairly significantly over the past few years. I really like what they've done there, particularly in light of super low interest rates. It'd be really hard to match those in an investment account. So now that I hear the music, that means my show is definitely over. Thanks again for listening, everybody. This is Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon, 1420, also on 1220thefish.com. Have a good week, good investing, and good luck. just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.